Happy Mother's Day to everyone. Before we get into this passage, just want to share a little update that uh, today's a kind of a unique Mother's Day for us in the Shepherd family. As you probably already know, the last 18 or so months, our family's been in conversation about uh, a potential adoption of a three and four-year-old, three-year-old girl and four-year-old brother, siblings. And uh, for months, y'all have been coming up and saying, what's the latest on the timing? And for months, all we've said is, still waiting. Until 10 days ago, when uh, the little ones came to be a part of our home. So there's our update. Um, We are thrilled about that. It uh, isn't a finalized adoption, so right now we're in placement and just kind of doing the, the work of, of being together as much as possible as a family to help gel uh, and just build that connection together. So if I'm a little scattered, ask for your grace on that, all right? Appreciate that. <laughs> we are sleeping, I think. can't remember. No, we're doing fine. <laughs> We're doing great, but honestly, I just want to say thank you for all the times that the, the many of you that have come and said, hey, we are praying for you guys, and we believe that. We knew that when you said it, you weren't lying, but the reality of what the Lord has been doing in His hand in our lives over the last 10 days, and even before that, uh, has just been so evident that, that, that you're, you have been praying for us and caring for us, so we're so thankful for, uh, for your involvement in that way, and I ask you to keep doing that. Please don't stop. Uh, this was the start of a journey for us, so... Look forward to one day being able to, to do the parent-child dedication with these two little ones as well, but not today. Not today. This morning, we are jumping back into a series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Blank Check, A Generous Life. Because really, generosity is meant to mark the life of a Christian, and this is more than just our finances. You heard this a couple of weeks ago, that generosity is a posture of surrendering our lives to the Lord. It's as if our lives are a check, right? And normally the last thing you do on a check is sign your name. In case you mess it up or do something weird, you just don't want to have a blank check, right? But in fact, that's exactly what we're saying ought to mark the life of a Christian, is to say to God, yes, whatever it is that you want me to do, before you even tell me what it is, here it is. The answer is yes. Whatever you say, whatever you call me to, the answer is yes. And that type of surrender to the Lord leads to generosity in the way that we interact with other people around us. Yes, it changes the way that we deal with our finances, as we talked last week, and we'll visit again. But it's more than that. It's generosity in the way we think about our possessions, our time, how we listen to other people, how we share compassion, how we open our lives to actually share life with other people. Today, though, we're going to focus on the idea of being generous with our service towards others. And you heard uh, some of the passage that we're going to work through, read, just read that for us, Romans 12, verses 3 to 13. If you, don't, if you haven't already opened your Bibles there, you uh, can do that. As we think about the idea of serving, I, I, I don't think any of us in this room find it a foreign concept that we are called to serve others. That concept is not new I don't even think you have to really be regular at church attender to know that serving others is something that, that, is, that is good and that we're called to, especially as followers of Christ. Every single letter in the New Testament has some direction in that way, either specific examples or just a general call to, as Galatians 5 says, serve one another humbly in love, very broad. 
Ephesians 6, 7, to serve wholeheartedly. We're not surprised that that's the case. But here's the deal. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of stuff that I know to be true and to be good, and I don't do it. Top of that list would be this thing called exercise, right? (laughs) I know I'm supposed to do it. I know I'm supposed to eat healthy. I know I'm supposed to limit my screen time. I know, I know, I know. And the list goes long for us, right? Because it's not just about what you know. It's about what you love. I have a friend who once said, you will only ever do exactly what you want. What you love drives what you do, not what you know. We know that to be true. And so our prayer this morning is not maybe again that we'd receive new information, but the prayer is that the Spirit of God would meet us and, and form us and, and reshape our hearts so that we are more aligned deep, in, deep inside of us to serve from the depths of our hearts. That's our prayer. And so as we jump into Romans chapter 12, you have to know, of course, that we're jumping into the middle of a book. We're not starting in Romans 1 and walking through the whole letter But we're jumping into chapter 12, and those are really dangerous things to do, to just flip into a middle of a letter. It's like jumping into a middle of a movie and assuming you've got it all figured out that you've never seen before. We have to kind of remember what is going on here, because Paul is writing this letter to a church in Rome, and he's done a masterful job of putting together a a presentation, a full message, that if we don't kind of at least give a a, a look and an understanding of what's going on before, we're going to be confused and we can make some really, really sad mistakes and misunderstand who God is. Because Romans has just some of the most rich theology in the New Testament. Some of the most accurate and realistic and somewhat not very encouraging things to say about the human race. That every single one of us has rejected God that we've rebelled against him and want nothing to do with him. We want his stuff. We don't want him. And God has given over humanity to our desires. The problem, though, is that's not where life is found. Real life is being found in the presence of God, to know him, what that book Romans calls being righteous. You need a rightness to be with God. But we've just rejected him and embraced our unrighteousness, our, our own I want to be Godness. But the good news is that God doesn't leave us there. But that in the person of Jesus Christ, God has come to this earth to make a way for us to be restored, to be made right, to forgive our sins, to forgive our rebellion, to make us restored to Him. That is the message of Romans. And that we receive that by faith, not on a basis of like our, our goodness and our morality. Not on the basis of of our generosity towards others. Not on the basis of a single thing that I've done. But I'm simply receiving the generosity of God. But once we have received that, we've become new. We're someone totally different. Paul in another letter describes us as a totally new creation. I saw saw a commercial for this the other day. It was like an ad somewhere that said, this company will take your gas car and convert it into an electric car. It's that type of different. You can't put gas in an electric car. It just doesn't run on that fuel. It's a new creation. And by faith in Christ, that's who we are. Now we are reoriented to love the things that he loves and to serve in the way that he served. We've been changed fundamentally in who we are. 
That is who Jesus is. He came to serve, not be served, but to generously give his life as a ransom for many. That's how Jesus described his own ministry. And because that's true, that affects us. Which is why Romans chapter 12, verse 1, if you kind of just either scroll up or, or look earlier on the page, says that in view of God's mercy, because of what God has done, the basis for this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Because of what he has done, we are called to now offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and this is true and proper worship. So everything we're going to say about generosity now, everything we're going to say about service is based on the idea that writing a blank check to God is not the first move. But Christ came and gave everything. He wrote that check first, paid for with his life, and was raised to life again. His check cleared, if you want to say it that way. And so anything that we offer to God is simply a response to Him making the first move. And here's why this is so important when we talk about serving. Because whether we recognize it or not, whether it's conscious or subconscious, there is a pull inside of us to think that if I just give a little more, either money, or if I just serve the right areas and do the right things, God will be a little more impressed with me. Or flip that to the negative oh, I didn't serve, I missed that opportunity, or I'm, I'm, I'm greedy. Therefore, God is disappointed in me. God is angry with me. But friends, this is why Romans 12 is not the first start of the book. It's 11 chapters in, and now we hit chapter 12. That the Bible tells us the good news of Jesus is that there is not a single thing you could serve, there is not a single gift you could give, there is not a dollar sign, there is no amount of generosity that you can practice that will make God more impressed with you. You are free from that. But because of what Christ has done, he looks at you and he says, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, I am well pleased with you. Nothing you could do to make God love you less. Nothing you could do to make God love you more. It's in that foundation that we can talk about serving. God does not call his people to serve as a means of making themselves right or earning God's favor, but it's our worship for what he has done. It's a response to his generous love towards us. It's built on the foundation of the gospel. But what's interesting to me is the very first place after Paul says, hey, look at all that God has done. Now offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Where does he go next? In turning and giving ourselves to each other. Because the way that we actually express worship to God includes the way that we serve and care for each other. And that's where we're going to go. A couple of things. If you want an outline, I may stick to it. I may not. Let's just be honest. Um, <laughs> here's what we're going to see about things like generous service. Generous service requires humility, it embraces our dependence, it involves our heart and our hands, and ultimately it's actually not about serving each other, but it's ultimately a service to the Lord. Again, I may stick to that, I may not. Let's find out, all right? Chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I, this is the Apostle Paul talking as he's using his gift of grace as an apostle, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
Paul says, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober or reasonable judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. If we just pause there for a second and realize what's amazing about Paul's starting this conversation about serving and giving ourselves to one another is he actually starts internally, doesn't he? He starts in our hearts. This is a call to humility. If you've been with us for the last month, you're noticing this is a theme here, isn't it? We talked about it Palm Sunday. We talked about it two weeks ago when we started this conversation on generosity. Is that generosity and humility are so deeply and intimately connected, you cannot separate them. Humility is the key to living a generous life. Because humility is not thinking too highly of yourself, remember this, but it's also not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. In other words, if you're thinking too much of yourself, we might call that pride, and let's just say that's anti-humility. If you're thinking less of yourself or this low self-worth, this kind of this, you have to say it like Eeyore, right? Oh, bother, right? I have nothing. I'm no one. That's false humility because at the center of that thought is still you. But generous serving, or really generosity in general, requires humility, which is a freedom from not having to think about me at all anymore. But I'm free to think about you and your needs, and how can I serve and bless you? These two, pride and and this kind of low self-esteem, they're enemies of being generous with our service. And here's why. If you think so highly of yourself, you will never serve others generously. There will always be people you have to make lower than yourself. If you're so busy thinking how important you are, how special you are, then naturally everyone else has to be less important. And if they're less important to you, now they're unworthy, at least some people, are unworthy of my time and my energy. You ever been in a conversation with someone where you're, you're not actually listening to them? You're just thinking about how long it takes for them to finish their story just consumed with me. Do you see how that, 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 that's why Paul says, think rightly about yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. You see how that pride can, can hinder you from actually generously serving them with your heart. Maybe there's that type of person, or if you've got a person in mind that you just could not find yourself to serve, or if you do, man, you're just doing it like this with your teeth clenched. I just, don't want to do it because of their worldview, because of their lifestyle, because of the way that they understand and their opinions as to how the world should work, their age, their cleanliness, their ethnicity, their religious beliefs. The list could go on. You put qualifiers on how and whom you will serve when you think too highly of yourself, there will also be tasks that are just too unimportant for you to do because if you're thinking too highly of yourself, that would be below me to do that. This poor dishwasher, man, we always tell the dishwasher, we always use the dishwasher, like somebody's got to unload the dishwasher. You know, that kind of becomes this thing where it's like, who wants to unload the dishwasher? Nobody does. Well, I do. I like to unload the dishwasher. You know why? Because it starts and it stops and something is accomplished. I love those moments in life. 
Maybe you do too. I just love when something starts and something stops and it's done. Do you know what my proverbial dishwasher is that no one wants to unload? If I'm really honest, it's playing pretend with the kids. You know why? Because that game never ends. (laughs) And no one wins. I just feel like I lose. (laughs) No, but what is it for you? What is that task for you that you look and you go, I don't want to do that. When you think too highly of yourself, that thing is below you because, well, you're way up here. My time is worth more than that. Somebody else can do that. Fill in the blank. What is that for you? Humility is required. True humility only grows. We talked about this. I won't, this is a whole, you can go back and listen to the sermon again from a couple weeks ago. Humility only grows as we deepen in our understanding and experience of the gospel that Jesus has taken care of me. I don't have to worry about me. There's freedom that comes from not having to think about myself. Jesus says, I've got you covered. You're free to go serve someone else. Let me serve you. The other enemy, though, is low self-esteem. Low self-esteem keeps the focus on me, but now it's just kind of pouty. I have nothing to serve. I have nothing to offer. If pride says I'm too good, low self-esteem says I have nothing. I'm worthless. And if you kind of remove that veneer, again, we can see that that's pride just in a different form. That's why I think it's important to go into verse 4, because Paul's going to address that idea, and he's going to do it by talking about one of his favorite metaphors to describe Christians, to describe the church, and that is a body. Follow with me in verses 4 through 8. For just as each of us has one body with many members, many parts, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, as Christians, right, we, though there are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with faith, with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Such a rich metaphor. Paul comes back to this over and over again in other letters. And it's such a rich metaphor. But in this passage, I just want to focus in on the idea of interdependence. You catch that that, that phrase in there. Each member belongs to all the others. Reciprocity. You need me. You need us. And I need you. Here's what I mean. No matter how great you are, no matter how gifted you are, no matter who you are, God has not made you self-sufficient. He did not create you so you could do life by yourself. There's a book by a woman named Veronica Roth. It's called uh, Divergent. It's this whole series, and you may hate it, whatever. They made movies and books out of it. It's dystopian uh, fiction. What's interesting about it is they divide all the groups of people according to their gifts, and they kind of segment them off. And there's these groups of people that are divergent, meaning they're gifted in all the areas. And when I heard that story, everything in me was like, I want to be divergent. I want to be self-sufficient. 
I want to have it all together. I want to not just be this little bit. I want to be everything. And that's just the human nature to try to pretend that we're self-sufficient. Because in reality, there isn't a single divergent person in this room. God has made you and created you so that you need others. Dependence on one another. I had a friend tell me the other day, she said, I just want to give you permission to take off the cape and not pretend to be Superman. Do you know how much freedom that gave me? Wow, good, I can stop pretending. Because no matter how hard I try, I'm not flying. I'm not leaping over buildings in a single bound. And clearly, we've already talked about exercise, so let's just skip that one. (laughs) But it requires us to have a right view of ourselves. It also means that we have to put ourselves in a place where others can serve us. See, we often, when we talk about serving generously, we forget, to lead, we forget to also touch on the fact that you need to receive generously. Do you have a hard time allowing someone else to serve you? Or are you willing to receive someone else's service? Not only do we, you need everyone else, but everyone else needs you. You see all those gifts that are listed there. Christ has given to every one of His children gifts. Among the many things at the moment when you look to Christ in faith, among the gifts of forgiveness and being adopted as children of God, and on and on the list goes, innumerable benefits and blessings. Among them is that the Spirit of God supernaturally gives every believer a gift to be used to lift up and exalt Jesus, and to serve the body of Christ. And they're all very different, just like we saw. Many members, just use your own bodies. You understand, I don't have to use that example much. Your body's parts do different things, but they all work together for the same common goal. All were given, as 1 Corinthians 12 says, a manifestation, a visible display of the Spirit inside of you that is used for the common good given by the same Spirit for the same goal. And this is why it's... There's a couple things we've got to talk about with this. Because if they're all working toward the same goal, then can I tell you what church life is not? It is not a competition. I, I just feel like we need to say that. Because it's so easy to look at someone else and go, I'd do that better than them. Or, oh, look at them using their gifts again, showing off. And, and it just kind of oozes envy and jealousy. And if I'm the only one in the room, then I'll just keep preaching to myself on that one. Um, but if there's any competition in the church, it actually comes later on in verse 10. The NIV says, honor one another above yourselves, but I really like how the, the, another translation says it, which is, outdo one another in showing honor. If there's a competition in the church, It's not to see who can be the best with their gifts and make sure your gifts are more honored than somebody else's. It's actually the opposite. How can I honor that person? Outdo one another in showing honor. Not in a way that makes me look good because I'm better at showing honor, but honestly just honors them. See, there is no such thing as a not gifted Christian. If you go back into verse 3, you see that Paul is writing to everyone who is among you. He's really clear. To each one of you. 
If you are a Christian here today, you have something that we need. You have, there are no exceptions, there are no super Christians. Every believer has been given a visible manifestation of the Spirit to use for the benefit of the church. That's in addition, by the way, to the natural draw that you have, the natural personality and gifts. And some of you are incredible cooks, and I can tell you why from the last couple of years. Many of you have brought meals to us. Some of you just love to just do practical things. You have certain hobbies. You have certain disposition. God has crafted you and created you uniquely and he's placed you in the body. He's placed you in at this moment right here at Chelton. And we need you. And for you to sit back and go, well, I don't have anything to offer. It's a lie from hell that wants you to feel like you have nothing to give to anyone else. Now, you may not have found that area yet. You may not have really unearthed what that is, how God has created you. But he has gifted you. One of the things that is so dangerous to our understanding of serving is the idea of professionalism in our culture. There are very few DIY things anymore. We just hire everybody to do everything because everybody's specialized and professional. And there are certain things you should probably do that with. Electrical, plumbing, top of the list, right? Roofs, hire those out probably, unless that's your job. But when it comes to the church, it's so tempting for us to sit back and go, wait, doesn't the word deacon mean servant? Oh, they got it. Oh, we got, we got pastors. They can do it. The elders can serve. Those special Christians can serve. Can I actually tell you that if we as your pastors do all the work, if we as elders and deacons do all the work, we're actually disobeying God. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13 says this, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, you know what it doesn't say? To serve the church. Let's read what it does say. To equip his people for works of service so the body may be built up. If church leaders do all the work, we're disobeying God. Our job is actually to equip every single one in this room and everyone on TV joining us through YouTube to serve. That's our job. It's really tricky to do that after the last couple of years where we've all kind of, a lot of ministries kind of shut down or paused or we got used to, to being a part of services online. And it's, we're foolish if we don't think that's reformed us a little bit in our hearts. Because now it's just way easier to sit back. It was already easy enough. And now it just became even easier because all those muscles that we didn't exercise of service kind of atrophied a little bit. And now it's like, well, somebody else will do it. Could you imagine if only 20% of your body worked? If only 20% of your body decided to do anything? Man, one thing goes wrong, and what do we do? We have surgery to replace it, right? We get medicine. We, have, we want the whole body to be working well. Friends, that's exactly the metaphor that Paul is using. You are needed here. 
you are wanted. Your gifts are important. We cannot function the same. We cannot function the way we want to as a church without your involvement. Now, brief moment over here. Does that mean you better serve 24-7 and never take a break? No. There are plenty of moments in life where in light of circumstances in life, you need to take a step back and you need to let others serve and you need to rest. Yes. That does not mean you're worthless. It does not mean you have nothing to offer. It means you need to take care of yourself. But you're also needed in the church. You're needed here. Here's what's going on. This is, again, if, if you're feeling shame on this, you're missing. Remember, come back to the first part. There's nothing you can do that will make you more pleasing to God. But this is an invitation to play. This is an invitation to play. We think too much of serving the church like professional sports, where you've got to have tryouts and you've got to be the cream of the crop or you're going to get cut. Start thinking about it a little more like youth group volleyball. If you've ever played youth group volleyball, as a youth pastor here for about a little short of a decade, the best youth group volleyball games were not eight on eight or six on six. Oh boy, I don't know which it is. Let's just pretend. <laughs> I don't know how many numbers you're supposed to actually have in a volleyball court. Because our numbers were always like 30 on 30, <laughs> where you're playing and you just can't move because there's so many people on the court. And then somebody else walks over, and what do you say? Come on in! Come in. Play. We already know who's going to win. He's already won. You're not playing to perform. You're playing to serve and worship. I'm convinced that many of us are bored in our lives, bored in our Christian walk, because we're convinced that we have nothing to offer the church or we're too special to serve. Come in. This is where blessing and joy are found in serving in being shoulder to shoulder with one another, caring, not looking out for my own needs, but for the needs of others. Notice there are seven gifts listed in here. Just a little note, whenever you see things, lists of seven, that usually means something bigger than just seven. You don't have to look at this and go, oh shoot, which one am I? Right? Maybe, maybe you can identify some gifts in there that, that, are, that, that kind of resonate with you. But when you hear that seven, it's kind of meant to... to Push your mind beyond just this small list to think about, God, well, how have you created me? You see gifts of prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, mercy. But if you go to other passages, you'll find other gifts. This is not an exhaustive list. The question becomes, how do we use the ways, how do we identify how we are wired? Well, if you've ever done like a spiritual assessment test, maybe those are helpful, maybe they're not. Let me just put that aside. Maybe start serving. You ever heard the phrase, it's easier to, to steer a moving car than a parked car? Start serving. What, what makes you excited? What do you get passionate about? Do you care about people feeling connected and cared for? Do you like doing hands-on stuff? Do you just find yourself explaining things really well? Every time you see someone, do you just feel like this little encouraging word come to mind? Some of you are like, nope, that's okay. Find a different way. <laughs> find a different way. What is it? How have you been created? How have you been gifted by God? And you know what? Ask 
ask him, God, how would you have me serve today? Nope, take that back. How would you have me serve right now? You see how it's a mentality? It's a, it's a way to view the world that says, God, every moment is an opportunity to serve. And guess what, guys? It doesn't have to be with a formal ministry. It might be. There are plenty of ways that you can serve. Vacation Bible school is coming up this summer. Our teens crush that every year. But can I tell you what, adults? It's not a teen service opportunity. It's a church service opportunity. There are opportunities to serve, to greet, to, to, to do whatever, and it doesn't even have to be in a ministry. Some of you just naturally serve. In, we all do it in so many different ways. Try things. Ask your friends. Listen to what people say to you. Paul, I didn't tell you I was going to do this. I can remember conversations from you 10 years ago where you walked up to me and you affirmed my gifts. And you didn't just say it, but then you encouraged me all along the way and you just kept pushing me. And you found other people and you said, give him a chance to serve. Thank you. I can remember your, I can see your face saying those words to me. They resonate. If you've ever had someone do that with you, you know how that just brings life into you. When we affirm one another's gifts, maybe you should try that today with someone. How will you affirm someone else's gifts and encourage them to use the way and serve the way that God has given them? Now, some of you look and you think, I know where I'm wired. And this is so easy for you to say, Mr. Standing on the stage and everybody sees you and your gifts are maybe more public, but nobody recognizes me. Nobody sees me. I can guarantee you at least one does. I can guarantee you moms who are at home with kids who get absolutely no thanks. Parents, those of you who serve behind the scenes so that literally no one sees you serving. But that's just how God's created you. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, the eye can't say to the hand, he's using the body metaphor again, one person who has one gift cannot say to another person with another gift, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think to be less honorable, we treat with special honor. He's talking about our physical bodies. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But listen to this. But God has put the body together, and He gives greater honor to the parts that lack it. If you feel like no one sees you, the Lord Jesus looks at you and says, I see you. I see you. And ultimately, isn't that what we're doing anyways? Here's the beautiful thing about Christian service. It's not even for us. It's not for me. It's ultimately, as we see in verse 11, serving the Lord. As Ephesians 6 says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because it all depends. You would do anything if the right person asked you to. 
What if the king of the universe looks at you and says, will you go serve your family by cleaning up after the dog in the yard? If Jesus asked you to do it, would you do it? Would Jesus, would you empty the dishwasher for Jesus or would you empty the dishwasher, whatever that stands for proverbially in your world? Would you get on the floor and play pretend with your toddlers if Jesus asked you to? Would you stand at the door and greet people with a smile on Sunday mornings if Jesus asked you to? Would you cook that meal? Would you listen quietly with empathy and compassion? Would you file that report for your coworker if Jesus asked you to? I heard a pastor recently use this illustration. He said, every single one of us wants to know that our service is going to be fruitful. Every single one of us wants to know that our service is going to be more like the boy with the five loaves and two or three fish, where what we give to God is just multiplied to everyone, feeds thousands of people. But what if God is actually asking you to be more like the woman in Mark 14, who takes her life savings in a jar of perfume that's worth a year's salary, takes it to Jesus, breaks it open, pours it on his head, and it's gone. What if that's what Jesus wants from you? Is he enough? Is he enough to serve knowing that you will get zero credit, but simply because you delight in your king? Is that enough? The very last thing we'll say about this passage is if you look down through verses 9 to 13, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, and practice hospitality feels like a random list, doesn't it? And it kind of is. But if you kind of step back, instead of just trying to pick every one of them, what do you see? You see both attitude and action. You see not just the actions we're supposed to do, but the attitude with which we do it. And that actually shouldn't surprise any of us, right? You see, God has never been interested in you simply doing service. Check that box. But as we read earlier, his desire is that we would serve wholeheartedly. Now that's the next level, right? Jesus isn't just interested in your, in your hands. He's interested in your heart. Oh, now we're talking. Oh, now it's hard. Oh, Jesus, you want my heart and my hands? What do I do when I don't want to give you either? Or I just do the hands with no heart? Do you know what you do? You go to Jesus and you tell him that. And here's why. On the night before Jesus was betrayed, Jesus, embodying what he's done through his whole life, takes off his outer garments he puts a towel around his waist and he assumes the position of the lowest servant. 
and he washes his disciples' feet. And then he says to them, as I have set this example for you, you should go and do the same. The problem is, if Jesus is just that, if he's just an example to you, you got to muster up that strength to serve and to change your own heart. And I don't know if you've ever tried that, but that's on the list of impossibilities. And what's amazing, though, is Jesus didn't just stop it as an example, but Jesus went, gave himself fully to you, held nothing back, served you to the point of laying down his own life, but he didn't stay dead. He rose to life again, and a few days later ascended to the right hand of the Father where He continues to serve you, where Jesus is not just an example, but He is our intercessor. He is advocating for you. He is serving you now. And when you find yourself in a place where you just don't want to serve with your hands or your heart, we go to Him. And that's what every application is, is that prayer is intimacy with Jesus that says, Jesus, I don't have it in me. I can't play pretend one more minute. I can't do that thing, or I'll do it, but my attitude is rotten. And his answer to you is, I know, and I love you. And what I'm doing is something that's so deep inside of you. Remember, I have made you a new creation, and I'm making you a new creation. I'm going to make that true in you. I see you. Let me wash your feet again. Let me serve you. And as you sit with your Savior who continues to serve you, over time, little by little, the Lord will continue his work to soften your heart, to give you a heart that longs, it's eager to do good works, that just can't wait to serve. And I'm not saying it's a snap of the finger. It's a lifelong process that God is at work in you. Because what makes Christian service unique is we don't do it for ourselves and we don't even do it in our own strength. But it requires acknowledging our weakness. And guess what? You're going to pray that prayer a lot this week, aren't you? A lot. Jesus, I don't have it in me. Jesus, I know I should, but I don't really want to. Can you change my heart? And his answer is yes. That's what I'm doing. And what's beautiful is what's at stake in this is as Jesus says after he washes his disciples' feet, he says, love one another in the same way I've loved you. And it's by this love that the world will know that you are my people. Let's pray together. Father, left to ourselves, we are not generous with our service. We are all about serving us. but you have made us a new creation. The old us is crucified with you, and you're now living in and through us. Keep up your work, Lord. Soften our hearts. Give us eyes to see the needs of those around us, opportunities where we might jump in and serve. Help us to see the ways that you've gifted us and created us so that we might be willing to serve. Give us humility of heart to think about someone other than us. Give us faith to believe that, God, you have taken care of us, and Jesus, you are serving us now. Give us courage to be willing to put down our own desires, our desires for recognition and for glory, so that we might be generous in the way that we serve others. Because ultimately, Jesus, 
We're serving you because you have given yourself to us first. We offer ourselves as living sacrifice to you as our act of worship. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name.